Hey, PBDO. What's going on? He's been standing by the cargo bay doors just screaming unlimited power for the last 20 minutes. PBDO must be excited for episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Huh? Yeah, well, he claims that only his new powers can save us, so I, I think he's ready for it, yeah. Hey, PBDO, how about you unlimited power up those microphones and open the cargo bay doors? We got a podcast to record. Hello there, and welcome to the Cargo Bay, a conversation podcast being transmitted to you from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I am Brady C, and I am here with my co-host, Adam B. Ho! How's it going, Adam B? I tell you what, I uh, I put off my, my homework. Uh, I, I watched episode three starting late last evening, uh, but I had a great night. Uh, show note... We delayed this episode, uh, the recording of this episode a week, for the Kenobi trailer, which was our, our last episode that we recorded. Everyone be sure to check that out. Where which we, we uh, had a timely release of today, probably, <laughs> a week or so after the trailer well, came out. Here's the thing that they don't tell you on the internet. Reaction videos work best when people have had at least a week and a half to think about it. That's right. Yeah. Um yeah, so I've I've actually I think I've watched this twice in in nice in the last two weeks. Uh, one I, I I usually do a a once pass over at least just to be like I just want to watch this movie and and enjoy it. And then a second one I'll kind of like take notes for you know the stuff we're gonna talk about. But this one I I took very few notes because I just love this movie and I was like I'm not gonna bother taking a whole bunch of notes on this. There's a bunch of cool stuff that we get to talk about on this, so yeah, I'm excited. We got episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, now, BC, you know I'm a, a bit of an episode two defender. Yep. Um, uh, you know, there were points in my life where I was like, you know what, episode one and two, those movies are absolute trash. I'm mad at them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I was, you know, I went through through my teens, my angsty oh, yeah. teens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I never turned my back on this movie. Uh, I've always loved it. Even even at the my lowest points of Star Wars fandom, I always was like, you know what, Episode Three is pretty good, and I think now Episode Three is fantastic. I'm I a big fan. I wholeheartedly agree, and I think you're absolutely right. Everyone goes through that phase where like I'm too cool for Episodes One and Two, and you go back and you're like, you know what, it's pretty fun Star Wars. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think Episode Three does tend to stand the the test of time. Hey, PBDO, hang on, do you have my, my internet cable, <laughs> PBDO? I think that could be some of the problem I'm having here. <laughs> that may be. PBDO is always messing with our stuff. It's it's so hard to find a good utility droid these days. <laughs> he's working on it. PBDO's... Thank you. He's cooperating. Thank you, PBDO. Yeah. PBDO. Um... Uh, while we're doing that, just quick programming note: there will be spoilers from all things Star Wars today. So if you haven't seen Star Wars, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast, or you're listening to the right podcast. But we're just going to spoil some of the major plot points in the Star Wars universe. We got big spoilers for Episode 3, although, as I read in one of the negative critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, really, there are zero surprises in this film, and that's one of the most disappointing things, as we know exactly how it's going to unfold. <laughs> Everyone knew this is exactly how it was going to go down. Anakin Skywalker uh, was going to kill younglings. <laughs> Liz, let's face it, we all saw it coming from a mile away, so... Boring. Uh, whatever. <laughs> one, one of my big takeaways. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it here. So we're 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 uh, we're officially into this. We're gonna take a little trip down memory lane. We're gonna pull up some data files from May of two thousand five. Uh, and I, we always like to start here. What are your memories of seeing Revenge of the Sith for the first time in May of two thousand five? Oh, BC, I was pumped for this movie. 
I made like laminated Jedi name tags for all my friends. Um, you know, some people were Sith, some people were Jedi. I got uh, in trouble for having, we got in trouble for having lightsabers on us all the time. I guess that's when they had the fully collapsible ones, so those got banned from campus. Um, some friends of mine and I won a little bit of money getting like third place in the the talent show. So we took that money to go to opening night together. Amazing. I'd never been to like uh, a movie the night it came out, I don't think. Um, mm. I was finally able to to drive myself, I believe. Yeah. Um, Actually, I think my friend's mom took us. But I, as right before the movie started, as the last trailer ended, um, you know, I turned to my friend and I said, "Oh no, man! What if it sucks? Like, we'll never get a Star Wars again. Like, what if this is the last chance?" And he was just like, "It's not gonna suck. It'll be great." And then Bob Iger was sitting was. behind you, and Bob Iger's like, "There's gonna be so much more Star Wars, little boy. Don't you worry." Don't you worry. <laughs> My friend's mother definitely took us because I remember her breaking into tears uh, when Anakin went on his rampage. Nice. Um, and I remember thinking, sick, this, this is awesome. This is exactly <laughs> what needs to be happening. Um, nice. Yeah, what about you? I, I, This is the most, of the prequels, the most vivid memory that I have of seeing any of these movies. Uh, because I was older and more cognizant, but it was—I don't—I don't think I saw it opening weekend. In fact, I'm pretty certain that I didn't, because um, I was—I was pretty, I would say, relatively disillusioned and probably too cool for school for Star Wars. Because I was senior in high school, 18 years old, just graduated, uh, and a buddy of mine—we were going on like we literally graduated like the night before. And then we basically hopped in, hopped in my car, and we were going to go on a two-week road trip. So we were doing, like, a, awesome. a baseball road trip, St. Louis, Chicago, Minneapolis, Kansas City. Like, we did a whole loop. And our first stop was in St. Louis, which is where my grandparents lived. And so we had a Cardinals game, and then we were staying there for a few days with my grandparents. And then we had, like, a just a random day where it's like, we don't have anything to do. You know, it's like, oh, we've been to the zoo. We've, you know, kind of just, like, goofed around, like, what's... Let's go to a movie. It's like, eh, well, the new Star Wars is out. And he wasn't a big Star Wars fan. And I was kind of like, eh, you know, yeah, let's, let's just go see Star Wars. Because that will always be a part of me. Even though I wasn't like, Star Wars. I was like, yeah. yeah, let's go see Star Wars. And I remember watching that movie with zero expectation. And then walking out being like, that was good. That was like really good. And my friend who's not a Star Wars fan was like, I think that was good. He's like, I, I really <laughs> yeah. like that movie. I was like, yeah. Star Wars is good. It was really like it was such a pleasant experience to walk out of a Star Wars movie and be like, "Oh, Star Wars is good again." It was great. I loved it. <laughs> that was a great feeling. Yeah, that's. I remember distinctly like early reviews coming out, and for the most part, them being positive, which was a surprise. But yeah, that, that feeling of just like if we're going out on a high note, it's so nice that I can end end the Star Wars movies on a high. So. Oh, yeah, I definitely walked out with a positive experience, and we're going to give you a couple critics' reviews from May of 2005, who I would say felt pretty similarly. Uh, let me let me jump in with, with our old fave, Roger Ebert. Three and a half star review. Three and a half stars, big time review. Has that been the way <clears throat> he's reviewed every, every one of the prequels, three and a half stars? No, I, so. I think two and a half for episode two. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is like a failing grade for Roger Ebert. <laughs> he doesn't tend to like completely gotcha. blast stuff, but um, yeah, he's he's pretty positive here. Although I did pull out another quote that he just takes a shot uh, at, at the dialogue, which I thought was funny. But the, the <laughs> opening of it is, George Lucas comes full circle in more ways than one in Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Episode Three is a return to the classic space opera style that launched the series. I agree wholeheartedly. I feel exactly the same way. He does go on to note, and I think this is just pretty spot on, the dialogue throughout the movie is once again its weakest point. It The characters talk in what sounds like basic English without color 
ver- wit or verbal delight, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty pretty accurate assessment of of some of the dialogue. But uh, overall, I mean, dialogue's never been uh, the most uh, witty <laughs> thing about Star Wars. So uh, yeah, I think the, the note about it being back to the classic space opera style, the adventure in it is spot on. Really liked it. And I mean, come on, you're going to watch the, the space opera scene and tell me that's not some of the best uh, dialogue ever recorded? Get get out of town. Well, the, I mean, to be fair, that's 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 poetry in motion is what that is. But I, I got to give 100% credit to Ian McDermott for just... Oh my gosh. Just just chewing, just just chewing the scenery <laughs> around him. Just, just, what? just... Just taking all the space he can, he said, "Clear the lane. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dunk this ball right now." <laughs> that opening, that opening shot, BC, of them sitting together is maybe the longest uncut dialogue shot in all of Star Wars. It's like a, it's a pretty solid uh, scene there between the two yeah. of them. Uh, I, I yeah. think they're they're both good in that. Um, you know, yeah. Anakin does come off as a child soldier who's so uneducated about his religion he's left to say like but jedi are good (laughs) and uh anyway uh vc let me let me read a little bit from this this ao scott review what's what's ao cooking up for us ao writing for the new york times says this is by far the best film in the more recent trilogy and also the best of four of the four episodes mr lucas has directed that's right. And my inner 11-year-old shudders as I type this. All right. It's better than Star Wars. <laughs> so, you know, hot, hot take here. Record scratch. <laughs> let's, let's, let's record scratch that moment for a second. The movie that is held up for, for 30 years is one of the greatest films of all time at this point. A.O. <laughs> Scott's like, you know what? Eh. Suck at Star Wars. Revenge of the Sith is better, and like it's a that is a that is a classic hot take right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> that seems like let me let me write a review that's gonna get me in the news. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like let me just go out and say this is better than the original Star Wars and be like, whoa! Uh, that's the only kind of a reaction I think you can elicit from that. I don't think he's right, um, but he's certainly entitled to his opinion. Yeah, I think. Uh... Star Wars is obviously like something that can be universally loved and is a work of genius and miracle. Like Star Wars Episode Four is a miracle that was created by many, many hands um, that all were yeah. blessed. Right? Like they're all made this thing. <laughs> Pretty wild take. He goes on to say, uh, Revenge of the Sith, which had its premiere here yesterday at the Cannes International Film Festival. Uh, ranks with The Empire Strikes Back, directed by Irvin Kirshner in 1980, so he's not saying it's better than Empire Strikes Back. No. As the richest and most challenging movie in the cycle, it comes closer than any of the other episodes to realizing Mr. Lucas's frequently reiterated dream of bringing the combination of vigorous spectacle and mythic resonance he found in the films of Akira Kurosawa into American commercial cinema. Wow. All high right, there you high go. praise. Yeah. High, high praise, I would say. Um, I mean, he, he thinks it's the best Star Wars movie that George Lucas directed, including Star Wars. So we I know think... where A.O. Scott stands. <laughs> Here's my hot take. Uh, George Lucas should have been nominated for an Academy for directing this this movie, I think. that's He should have gotten, gotten an Oscar nod. I think it is. That it is, is my is, favorite direction work from George Lucas. Uh, I don't. I don't disagree with that. It's. It's sort of like. Um, I don't know. They. Well, sci-fi is kind of universally shoved aside by the Academy, um, and Star Wars is always like, we'll we'll let you have technical awards, but that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, which is whatever. But it does seem like, you know, after. Uh, Lord of the Rings had their moment where they're like, give them every Oscar. Yeah. Give Return of the King every Oscar. We want to acknowledge everything that's been done. It's like, can we get at least throw George a nom at a certain point? Yeah. Be like, hey, you kind of changed cinema forever. Here's a nom. You know, we're not going to let you win, obviously, but here's a nomination. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
Seems I, seems I think cruel. it was deserved. Um, but you know the 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 Sith are cruel. The Force is cruel in some ways, BC, because it's got to be balanced. Ab- I have a little good. I have a little bad. Absolutely, absolutely right. <laughs> a little light, a little dark. A little light, a little dark. And I think I actually think we've been a. I think we need to to find a little dark in this because right now we are blasting the power of the light side all over this. So uh, that's right. So I'm going to start with 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 a little dark side energy. And you want to know one of my dark side nits that I want to pick with this movie? Live action Grievous. Live action Grievous sucks. And I'm going to tell you why. Because <laughs> animated Grievous from Gindy Clone Wars is so badass and so much cooler that this version of Grievous is just like, what is this annoying, weird looking guy doing? It... it it's 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 yeah, it's, it's kind of not quite as potent. No, definitely. Like you're like he's sort of like a weird comedic kind of not that serious foil for Obi Wan that gets kind of dispensed about halfway through this movie. I'm just kind of like, what was the point of that? I don't know. I just yeah, I was really excited to see him in this movie. Um, that was probably, uh, you know, one of my, my bigger disappointments. I, I do like that, you know, the Gindy Clone Wars, um, it does explain away some of his loss in power by having Mace Windu crush his uh, chest cavity. Yeah. And that's why he's coughing so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that kind of the only big positive thing I have to say about Grievous is he is coughing and wheezing in the film and there's no explanation yeah. at all. <laughs> like, You're like, what's... And there's a lot of that in this. It feels like the original Star Wars where it's like, what is that about? Yeah. And you don't have to know. <laughs> like, It's there for you to like think about. Uh, it's almost like a cool Easter egg if you watch the Clone Wars and you kind of know what's going on with them as... But if you don't know it, it is just, it's a character tick, right? Like, it's a little bit of texture on a character that it's like, oh, he's just coughing and wheezing. Like, there's just a thing that's going on with this weird part droid part organic life matter thing that's <laughs> that exists so um yeah it just must be hard to breathe when you're part machine part gooby little pink thing you know <laughs> <laughs> with this with this time watching i noticed for the first time in one of grievous's four arms when he's fighting kenobi he has anakin's lightsaber with a green blade or the same hilt as anakin's uh-huh. uh, with a green blade in one hand and the same hilt as obi-wan's in in another hand, I was like, oh yeah, the cannon used to be a little bit more like you just kind of pick from a selection of lightsaber hilts. Yeah, they, I mean specifically in Clone Wars, go into like the creation of lightsabers and and all of that, which is a lot of fun if you're a Clone Wars fan. But yeah, the, it does seem a little more generic on on some of the lightsabers here because they definitely were like. Let's just custom the heck out of every single lightsaber hilt that we're ever going to find. Yeah. Because in these yeah. prequel movies, they're like, oh, I lost another lightsaber. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much <laughs> yeah. like, well, there goes that lightsaber. That's the 15th lightsaber I've lost. As opposed to like, you must go through the sacred ritual of finding your crystal and then assembling the hilt in outer space with David Tennant as the robot who helps you create your lightsaber. And they're like, ah, I lost it. <laughs> That's a, I was. I lost that one. <laughs> I was on the uh, the intergalactic uh, Skype phone um, with my significant other uh, back on Earth while I was watching this film, and uh-huh. and she asked, "So, uh-huh. what is it like? Can I ask what happens when a Jedi loses their lightsaber?" Trying to explain it, and I was like, "Ah, it's kind of like if you lose your wand in Harry Potter. You can use a backup. It'll just be hard, and you lost the one you grew up using. So you might not ever find one quite as." is in sync with you. That crystal on, on Ilum isn't going to call your name again, necessarily. <laughs> yeah, it'll... The, the same way. Or at least that's how I see it. It'll just be a knockoff crystal on Ilum that someone else found and discarded, <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, I'll just stick it in this generic lightsaber. It's like, well, I'll go to the old <laughs> lightsabers R Us and pick up a spare, you know? So, yeah. Um, all that to say, live-action Grievous, not that great. The, the hottest take I got. Right here, BC. Let me throw some dark side energy. My dark side in this movie, Yoda, man. Yoda's lame in this movie. Uh, (laughs) Yoda just kind of rewatching these films for the nine millionth time. uh, Yoda's is kind of, you know, um, bad. 
<laughs> at being the head of the Jedi. And then he just gets his ass handed to him by Palps, uh, which I guess is cool. Um, but yeah, Yoda just comes off as not cool in this movie to me. Aside from when he's killing the, the clone troopers. I think I think Yoda, of, of all the characters, takes it right on the chin the most in these prequel movies, perhaps. Because there's yeah. there's a I think there's a lot of story points that just have to occur that make the Jedi look like garbage. And the fact that Yoda is sort of like he's he's like nine hundred years old. He's the he's the head of the council essentially, and he's like, listen, I didn't see the Sith coming. I didn't. All of this was happening literally two feet away from me. But there's a Sith Lord who's been rising to power, uh-huh. and we've just been having tea on the veranda occasionally. Um, there's a lot of not great looks for Yoda in this. It's interesting because they, the technology got better, so he's not a puppet, right? I think having limitations is a good thing in in being a creative artist. I think having to work with a weird, crazy Dagobah set where Frank Oz is like underneath the ground walking with the puppet, like I think that makes... All of that Yoda stuff so special, as opposed to let's just CGI him doing a 1080 flip with a lightsaber in the middle of a battle. It's like like just because we can have him fight with Palpatine and have a very like symbolic, they're fighting in the Senate for the fate of the galaxy, and Yoda's spinning the disc and he's catching the Force lightning. Like just because we can does not mean that we should. I will say I am pro Senate chamber fight. Uh, just because it it gets better when it moves to the Senate chamber. The fight was already happening. It it wasn't very good. Might as well might as well throw some discs around. Have some yas. Yeah. It the I don't know the fact that it's being intercut with with the with the duel on Mustafar too is just kind of like meh. You know, like I'd rather just go back to Mustafar and watch that. Yeah, yeah. Let's just stay with this. But yeah. it's like we've got to explain Yoda's exile and blah da 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 da. da. Like whatever. Should we just say that's that's definitely on the light side is that Mustafar battle, uh, right, BC? Probably my favorite lightsaber fight. You got two athletes who actually wanted to learn a lightsaber fight. The the choreography of that fight is really good. It's over the top in a really fulfilling way. Um, I I mean it's it's up there with Duel of the Fates for me. I love Duel of the Fates. I really like the throne room fight from Last Jedi. Um, I like that. Oh, yeah, I like yeah. that fight a lot. Fight. This one though, I think, like the the stakes, the action, the the two blue lightsabers. Yeah, pointy lightsabers are on my 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 light side list. These are my favorite Star Wars lightsabers. The pointy Episode Three lightsabers look awesome. You can, you can see that clear. Clear dagger yeah, sort of look. Tip. Yep. Um, yeah. My my favorite moment, and I've done. I don't know if you know this, but I am certified in broadsword and single sword stage combat. Ooh, uh, and so, baby. so I've had my fair share of sword training. And every fight choreographer, you know, whenever you're fighting, you learn the moulinet, right? It's just spinning your sword so you look cool. Is kind of the kind, uh-huh. kind of the idea a moulinet? It's French. They call it the the never ending moulinets that they do into the one like power stroke remains uh-huh. my favorite moment in this fight where it's like we're just gonna moulinet right in front of each other, build up power, and then yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing it's an it's amazing awesome. fight moment. <laughs> I love it. I love when they're in the tight corridor, and I know they filmed it with like little bitty sticks. Yeah, but when they cut it in, the lightsabers are just cutting through the walls. Uh, I I think this version, like the the action of this, the pacing of this fight, is what is kind of what they wanted that crappy droid factory scene from episode two to be, where it's like action adventure and Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, things are happening. Yeah, it's so much more successful in this because the stakes are so much more clear and so much higher than in Attack of the Clones at the end of that movie that it makes all of that like. You know, amusement park rides like this thing's chopping off, and then they're dodging this, and now this is moving, and now they've got to jump onto the little thing. Like it, it all works so much better in this fight. It's so much more clear in its direction that that it's really fulfilling watching this entire fight, all the way to the the classic. I got the high ground, baby. Don't even do it. That's what's inc- incredible uh, to me. The worst moments in the this movie 
Ian McGregor is so charismatic and charming that they are just memes. Instead of them just being universally hated or just forgotten for being stupid, all of the silly things that he has to do are memes because he's that charming. I mean, this is full circle Kenobi. This is this is like Ewan McGregor at the height of his charismatic movie star power. He's got a good looking haircut in this movie, which I think goes a long way. Goes a long way. That's Sparta My Light side. They both have better haircuts. (laughs) The costumes are awesome in this movie. I love that Anakin has different robes. Um, Beautiful. There they are. Uh, BC showcasing some Star Wars Tops chrome uh, cards of Obi and Anakin there. Episode 3 specific. Yeah, they they look good, which goes a long way for this movie. Episode 2, we talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago. They, they look those character designs look bad the hair looks bad a lot of it looks bad they they fixed it they took the notes yeah. for this one they're like we got to make these guys look cool yeah they come in looking cool anakin immediately looks way cool yeah like <laughs> in that opening sequence it's like oh okay i can root for this guy he's he looks cool he's also more mature like he's he it's not a long time between those movies but you can tell that he's definitely matured in age from when they filmed attack of the clones to when they filmed revenge of the sith um and i think i think it all works really well um i want to say i'll just go ahead and get another light side thing out of the way here uh along with the costumes the visual cohesion of this film it looks to me like a stage play somehow just in the clean like uniform production design uh, but in a a really satisfying way. I just like the way the whole thing looks. It, I yeah, and I would say the the CGI technology. We've you know this has been sort of a through line since we started talking about episode one. That the technology has really driven a lot of the looks, obviously, because they leaned into CGI for for better or for worse. And you know people have their opinions about that. But you can definitely see the CGI getting better and better. And in this one, you're like, this looks like. I mean, it still holds up today in terms of the CGI. Yeah, I it, couldn't believe it. Really, yeah. I was like, yeah, this looks good. I don't have any problems. Really, there are, there are very few shots where you kind of go. Uh, some of the little, grievous yeah, stuff little, with with Obi. A little. Oh. Some of the Dooku stuff where they've they've literally got like Christopher Lee's face mapped onto the stunt double. Uh, some of that looks rough. But. They didn't quite nail that face. Uh, <laughs> transposing technology at that point. <laughs> You're like, oh, I think I think Christopher Lee actually did that move. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well let me let me hit a dark side i know it's your turn to yeah, see, yeah. but i'll just get a quick one out of the way the the vader no it's bad yeah no it's <laughs> and they went in and added it to uh return of the jedi right or something like uh i uh i know i don't know i'd have to go back and i think they did i think lucas out of spite when he throws like Palpatine over there. I know that it's like part of it is dubbed in somewhere. And I think it's when he throws Palpatine into the Death Star shaft. He goes, no, it's the same no dubbed in. Amazing. Um, that might have been changed before the Blu-ray release. Yeah, the no is bad. I'll give you a little light side on this, though. I'll balance it out. The The uh-huh. shot of the helmet for the first time yeah. is so insanely clean the hearing the mechanics of the screws whirring in seeing just the tiny little puffs of smoke coming out they're like we're gonna spend a lot of money to get this shot perfect and they just hammer that nail right in there even into the shot of the mask being lowered like the pov vader mask coming onto the face and then into that sort of close-up of the mask with the the plumes of smoke is gorgeous they do kind of poo over the the moment with the (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's really the biggest bummer of it is because i got goosebumps you know from the other stuff and then... well, it's the thing that you're we're waiting for the whole time you know it's yeah. like the prequel trilogy is all about anakin turning into vader and we're getting that moment you're like this is sick no! you're like, ah. <laughs> how did how did darth vader uh, become horribly disfigured well i left him i i had the high ground i see what happened was i had the high ground i told him not to i told him not to um, he said that I underestimated his powers. I didn't. I chopped his arm and both legs 
clean off with one swipe, and then I left his burning body on the shores of Mustafar. So, you want to be a Jedi or what, kid? <laughs> yeah. So that. Oh, uh, here's an. This is a quick light side. I love this. This is what. This is one of my favorite things. Uh, Battle of Mustafar. This this goes into your uh, you and McGregor being so charismatic point. The line Anakin Chancellor Palpatine is evil is one of the best lines that an actor can have because it is so it's so clear it's so true. All you have to do is shout at it and be like, "Hey, idiot! The bad guy is the bad guy." You know what I mean? And he just he just crushes that line reading, and then you get back. The just the what I think is one of the worst written lines because it is so like we could have probably spruced this up a little bit. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. It's like, okay, yeah, we we get that that's what you think, but maybe what you think, maybe we should say it a little different, you know? It's just like yeah. if we're just workshopping the story, it's like, okay, Palpatine is evil. Well, from his perspective, the Jedi are evil. We could just use that as a line of dialogue. Um, but the way that, that Ewan McGregor commits to that line, and, and a lot of other lines, and specifically in the Mustafar sequence, is so good. You turned her against me or whatever, and he goes, You have done that yourself! I'm like, yeah! <laughs> Every time. He's, yeah. he's just dropping oh, man. fire. Can you, imagine, can you imagine that same scene, though, with him in his episode two look no <laughs> like, no it would be it I, would be comedic it wouldn't it wouldn't work <laughs> i went light side what, what dark side i want to do this every jedi's performance during order 66 i think i think oh. i think it's i i like order 66 i like order 66 occurring uh. the the ease with which every single jedi goes down during order 66 i'm like I mean, maybe don't show as many Jedi getting washed, but show some of them getting washed, but still, like, having a little bit of, like, you're a Jedi. Like, a, a yeah, little yeah. fight back. Like, Kayani Mundi gets, like, he, he's got, like, three parries of those blasts, and then he's done. You're like, well, oh, there he goes. They all just get sliced through so easily. It's a little... It's a little sad. I like Plo's death, uh, Plo Koon's death, because he goes down in that sweet uh, Gen 1 yep. Jedi Starfighter. Yeah. Um, uh, that's got his blue sun rays painted on it. Um, so you know, good for him. There's not really anything you can do. Get shot in the back, and you're you're dead. I starfighter. But yeah, I agree. Especially Ala Secura. Like she flops weird. You know, yeah. she's kind of like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, the and this isn't Order sixty six, but it's when Mace and the crew roll up on Palpatine. Uh huh. Eth Koth just gets he goes down real really fast. really quickly. Kit Fisto gets a couple parries in. Couple parries like, and in. that's it. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah, it hurts. Uh, so like, what I like about this though is that, especially now with the context of Clone Wars, it's really awesome to watch these characters that have been developed for years just be like taken out like nothing. I kind of like it. it <laughs> like, I kind of like the effect of that. I, yeah, it, it <laughs> makes their deaths more meaningful for sure. But I, there is part of me having watched Clone Wars like, but Kefisto's so much cooler than that, you know? Yeah, I know. I want to. This is a side question, a personal question for you. You did you have so you were familiar with these Jedi? Obviously, before with Clone Wars stuff, did you have like their action figures? Like, had you been collecting any of like the Kit Fisto, um, Plo Koons, any of that sort of stuff before you saw the movie? Yeah, I definitely had some of those Jedi action figures, okay. and I remember like my buddy had. They made both like Plo Koon and Kit Fisto's Jedi Starfighters. Cool. Yeah, because like it's almost like. You get to tell your own stories with those Jedi before we get to see them completely annihilated. Annihilated. And and <laughs> and that's what Clone Wars kind of feels like, too, where it's like Filoni and crew is like... Because Plo Koon is like famously Dave Filoni's favorite Jedi. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, I get to play with these toys now. I get to create stories for all of these characters. Like, their fate is what, what it is. But we get to go tell some cool stories now. So, yeah, kind of cool. Uh, Good stuff. What do you got? One of my dark side things... 
I love that Peter Mayhew is in this. I love that he's like fourth build or something. He he is high in the credits, which is awesome. Yep. But I don't know why Chewbacca is hanging out with Yoda. Um, again, makes the universe smaller. But what I really don't like is you never talk to Luke about any of this stuff. You were never like, hey, Han, why don't you tell Luke that I used to hang out with the Grand Master of the Jedi Order? Um it has been a recurring thing through all of the prequels where it's like, how, who can we bring back that's that it does always feel like let's make the world a little smaller. I don't like it. I love I love Chewbacca. He's one of my favorite characters. I do not like seeing him in this movie. I don't like Yoda going to Kashyyyk. It's like it's like we just need to get Yoda out of here for a specific storytelling reason. So let's go send him to see Chewbacca and they can have a little adventure and we'll all be excited that we get to see the Wookiee planet. Yeah. It's it's a sequence that I don't I have no care or concern for. Um, yeah, it's it's I would I would cut it except that we got some cool stuff in video games from from all that Kashyyyk stuff. So yeah, <laughs> there's always that. Yep, yeah, I agree, and it, it goes to Yoda being you know not not one of the the highlights of the movie, but I think I think he's gonna turn it around in the future. I think we're gonna get some prime Yoda <laughs> uh, coming up here in the coming weeks. Here's my here's a dark side. This is just a nitpicky storytelling dark side thing. Anakin's turn to the dark side from like being at the opera, the space opera uh-huh. that they're attending, and I'm gonna balance this in and of itself. And we've already talked about it. Ian McDermott's performance during that is one of my light side. Like that guy is just on fire. Like he's like yeah, yeah. he's like give me the dialogue and let me just go to town. And they're like clear out. Let this guy do his thing. The music is so good. Oh, it's, Everything's so good. It's amazing. It's all good. Uh, I mean, have you ever heard about the tale of Darth Plagueis? Um, <laughs> so, like, that, that entire, like, seduction of of Anakin, you know, they talk about it being, like, a Faustian bargain that's going on. Like, it's all really cool. It happens in, like, ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. From, yeah. from that moment to him being like, oh, I just heard a lot of Sith stuff from the Chancellor. He's a Sith Lord. And then he's like, hey, Mace. I think he may be a Sith Lord because he told me he was. Uh, it's like, yeah, well, we better go arrest him. Um, that in- oh dang, we hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> if only there were warnings. Something was funny going on. If only there- involving him. If only <laughs> there were warning signs. If I mean, Dooku literally tells Obi Wan in Episode Two. That there's a Sith Lord running the Senate, you know, that's like controlling yeah. the Senate. It's like we should probably investigate that. Nah, let's not stop start with the top leadership or anything, um, and the person who's been driving all of the mechanics of the, you know, the Senate He's and that the politics. Powerful, man, he's clouded things that much. I guess. <laughs> I there's a there's a lot of suspension of disbelief that has to go on for me to accept that because it, it just makes the jedi look pretty bad but yeah yeah for sure um but anakin's turn from from that moment to like before he's like before it's like i'm gonna chop mace windu's arm off and rise as lord vader or whatever is so quick that that it happens really fast you're like yeah I don't know. We could we could have pulled that out. Could, we could have pasted a little just better. Just a little bit. You yeah. could have even just thrown in some, interspersed some of those like vision cutscenes of him having the vision yeah. of her dying. I, I think the biggest thing is that after he you know helps dispense of Mace Windu, that should be like a break where he is highly emotional and basically just begging for his wife to be saved, right? Or there should be a clear like mental snap. But yeah. I think because of episode two and the the flack that he got, I imagine Hayden Christensen was probably pretty hesitant to have another big breakdown scene on camera. Um, and what comes out of it is just like, yes, my master, whatever you want, I'm broken. Oh. Which I, I don't really blame him for, but yeah, it's a weird... Well, it, it doesn't feel quite there. But I do love the... The Darth Vader... <laughs> And all the, my voice has changed. Like I love it is. It is maybe one of the worst parts, but it is one of my favorite. For like all the bad things in this movie are so bad that they're really rich. Unlimited power. <laughs> Amazing. 
incredible. It's incredible stuff. Yeah, I think they're like, An- uh, Anakin, we need you to dial it back right now. Because when you get to Mustafar, you got to unleash an I hate you that comes from like the middle of your bowels. <laughs> I hate you! Whoa. Okay. Okay. Okay, Anakin. We get it. Uh, yeah. That's that's a nitpicky thing. Uh, any other... Uh, any other light sides, dark sides? I feel... I feel um, yeah. I, I feel like we are treading towards the light, which is perfectly fine, but uh, what else you got? The last thing I'll say is the, the entire opening adventure, um, mm. it's my favorite. I've realized one of the reasons why I like um, these kind of last acts in trilogies, like Last Crusade, Return of the Jedi, this movie, as they all have that like opening condensed adventure and it's uh really solid uh i love that that space stuff in the beginning yeah um, yep. i think it's great great introduction they both seem cool they seem their relationship is on a better footing yeah i i i think i think going back and watch them there is a you know there's a there's the first act the middle act the third act you're gonna get big action in the first act you're gonna get big action in the third act that's sort of a staple of all of these movies i think the first and third act of this movie are are the strongest of all of the prequels, right? I love the stuff. Everything about it's it's so epic. The scale is so grand of this opening action sequence, um, with you know, flying into Grievous's ship, getting up that there. camera dive over the bow. Yeah, of that I. I went back to the theater an extra time just to see that moment again. Yeah, it's, it's like it's really good and it's it's long. The opening action sequence is really long. And you get yeah. you get Anakin chopping Dooku's noodle off. Uh yeah, yeah, you get you get cool. a little grievous Do action. I, I forget there's the whole like we gotta land this thing too that, that occurs. Yeah, they stole that from um uh Star Wars Jedi Knight. There's a sequence when you're the ship turns vertical and you got to play the level as it's crashing into the nice. (laughs) Yeah. All, all of that opening action is great. And then, you know, obviously we talked about Mustafar at the end, I think is, is the best of all the action at the, at the end of one of these prequel trilogies as well. So kudos to this movie. Well, I mean, uh, little uneasy here because the force is out of balance. Uh, Uh, let's, um, um, yeah, I'm sorry that I can't come up with anything. This, this movie, this oh. this is a Jedi. This movie's a Jedi. BC, I think it's pretty clear what we're going to do with this. Are we, we throwing this out? Are we giving it to the, the Jawas? Or are we going to keep it in the cargo hold? That's right. The I think the final judgment is clear. We are, we are keeping this in the cargo hold forever. Place of honor for Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Welcome to the cargo bay. Beautiful. Yep. One way to watch these movies, if you want to introduce someone to Star Wars, start with episode three. Just roll right through, uh, roll right through six. You don't need a whole lot more. You know what I mean? No. Just start here. You're right. Um, Tell them what clones are. The end. <laughs> the, the, here's what. Here's a brief. This is what's going on. Watch this movie. Um, okay. So obviously we're we we've been just lauding praise upon this movie um, for a while now. It's time to give out an individual award, the yes. the coveted Ewan McGregor Award, which goes to routinely the best part of any Star Wars piece of content, because Ewan McGregor is so often the best part of any Star Wars. You know, BC, going in, watching this this movie for this, uh, for this podcast, I was sure it was going to go to Ian McDermott, but the way I look at this award is... Who takes lemons and makes lemonade? Who takes Eopie dung and turns it into blue milk? Um, <laughs> it's Ewan McGregor here again, BC. I, I got to give it to him because yep. here's Ewan McGregor after doing two movies that have been critically panned. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still shows up and is like, hey, this could be really fun. <laughs> you know, like He still shows up and is a great person to act against. And we don't get the same thing from Natalie Portman. I don't blame her at all, but she, clearly not not interested in this movie the way Ian <laughs> McGregor. Is. She does not seem to be having as much fun as anyone around her, <laughs> no. and I also don't blame her because her character is not written in such a way. It's like this is going to be exciting for me to do. It's kind of like right. oh, I just got to die and move the plot forward. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, yeah, so I, I get it. Um, I'm also, I will, I will second that Ewan McGregor award going to Ewan McGregor. Well done by him. Um, two-time winner of the Ewan McGregor award. That's right. <laughs> Ewan McGregor. He famously did not win the first Ewan McGregor award for episode <laughs> one. Um, I do think though, you know, Ian McDermott, if he hadn't, like, uh, what my SO said is that scene where they're watching the, the opera or ballet, whatever it is, it seems like something they shot and were like, we might cut a lot of this. And then when it came out, they were like, "Oh no, this is good. We gotta keep. We gotta <laughs> keep." We gotta He's like, "I swear to God, they're not gonna <laughs> cut a second. Um, yeah, no, he he crushed it. Shout out to him, runner up for the Ewan McGregor Award, Ian McDermott. Yeah, good call, good call. Uh, so where where are you gonna rank this, BC? Top of the list, easy. We rank the films as we watch them. Um, we had a little discrepancy between episodes one and two between ourselves. Uh, my current power rankings of these movies in the number three spot would be episode two in the number two spot i've got phantom menace and then sitting atop my list right now i do have revenge of the sith revenge of the sith my number one episode two my number two uh episode one my number three count them down three two one baby (laughs) there you go can't recommend this movie highly enough i love it it's a fantastic film go back and rewatch it if you haven't uh it's thoroughly enjoyable even the bad stuff is good. It's it's yeah, it's yeah. it's all fun. It's it is it is a big space adventure. It is it's good Star Wars, which we don't always get. Sometimes we get bad Star Wars, but this is really good Star Wars. So I say go out and enjoy it. BC, I realized something tragic. We forgot one of our favorite things. What's that? What what do we forget? Zet Jukasa. <laughs> Shout out to You can't forget Zet Jukasa. Quick Quick shout out to another uh, Ewan, McGregor, Ewan McGregor Award nominee, Zet Jukasa, aka Jet Lucas, George Lucas's son. Uh, good, good job, George, in letting your son die because that's how you make it cool. Yeah, right. Like if he just would have been cool and survived, everyone would have been like, "Lame, the director's son." Yeah, cool. He saves. No, this is great. He saves Bail Organa's bacon, and then gets. Gets shot down. It's sure awesome. Does. Yeah, it's a great role. He gets a couple Jedi moves. He saves a very important member of the galaxy, and then he's done. Amazing. It's all I ever wanted as a kid. Yeah, was to be a Star Wars hero, and and Zet Jukasa, a Star Wars hero, you are. Uh, so much of a hero, I derailed the podcast. Ah. I apologize. I thought it was worth it. BC, totally um, worth. It. Always worth it. But but let's uh what do you say we talk about something a little a little uh, spicy on the fingers? Ooh, what you gotta let's say we what you got there? What you gotta You wanna the... talk about some uh some Star Wars trading cards? You know I do. What's been going on, VC? What are you eyeing up? Uh I am eyeing up I'm I'm still um being tempted by the devil that is the pre order sale of some Topps Chrome Mandalorian Beskar. That's out there. Um, the prices have risen, but not really. Um, for anyone who's following along with the pre-sale prices of Star Wars Chrome Beskar and listening to this podcast, um, they started at 140 on blowout cards. Then Steel City Collectibles, a competitor, listed it at 150 Blowout went up an incredible $5 to $145. You can still find a box on, there's a site that's doing them for 140 So I think I may still snag a box just for the content and because I'm a junkie for opening Chrome. Um, so that's very much still on my radar. Top's finest Star Wars was announced this yeah. week. No, I know you. we have uh, maybe some differing opinions on, on the cards themselves, but I think it's one that if the price point isn't insane, I'll get at least a box uh of those it's it is it's just like character art on a fancy background it's sort of a chrome style i believe this is the third finest set that has been released or will be released um the original one which is mega dope from 1996 amazing is is one of and we should do a pod just about the history of cards or our ranking of star wars cards or just talking about the cards in general but i yeah what i what i would hope bc is maybe someday we have like a regular rotation episode that is just cards yeah you know like in there 
Um, because I, I think that 96 set is awesome. It's, it's, it's up there with the galaxy cards for me, but it is like character specific. And the 96 stuff has like extended universe, like weird non canon stuff that's in there now. Um, they're Chrome finish. Um, so that's sort of a standard thing for those 2018, I think was the last time that a finest set was released. It's, you get two of these, what they call mini boxes and it's six packs per mini box. So you get 12 packs, I think six cards per pack. So you're not getting a, ton of cards but there are the higher end sort of stuff you get of course your autograph and then some other relic or manufactured hit of some kind i would imagine um but the what's your sorry sorry i I was gonna say the the one of the main things that i mean i'm a junkie i want to open them and i want to open them so we can record it and so i can have them um but the value of those boxes from 2018 those sell for they've like 2x'd what they probably were originally released for the 96 boxes are they're insane and the thing is with those boxes the value is completely gone once you open them because you can buy us i mean we just bought sets of of the 96 finest for like i don't know like 25 or 30 bucks or something yeah yeah which is like i'll take that deal any day um but it depends on how many gold refractors there are in there, because some of those do sell for a lot of money right now. Yeah, the refractors of those are, are going um, pretty cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs at the moment, but um, it's there's still not a pre-sale price on those, so that's the that's the other kind of X factor that I'm I'm following on those finest. But those are actually said to, and Tops is famous for just delaying their releases. But I think right now it's like May is when they're supposed to be released, which is kind of wild because they hadn't announced it until just recently so we'll see if may actually bounty hunters is supposed to be coming at the end of april now so Uh, god what i don't i'm just so baffled bounty hunters has been delayed for like six months yeah something like that i don't know it's it's painful whatever it is they were weren't they originally supposed to come out in like november 2021 uh yeah i think november or december of 2021 it's insane how how yeah. how they i mean it just keeps getting pushed back and back which who knows what's going on with that probably supply chain issues um i and, was gonna ask what is your ideal cards per pack bc because a, best a thousand four a, a cards million per pack <laughs> yeah four uh, cards per pack seems a little much uh for me i i'd say 12 tops um i kind of like six card packs um I mean, growing for whatever reason. Growing up as a collector, which I was, I was mainly focused on sports cards as a kid, and not having a a budget, I always went for the packs that had the most cards in them. <laughs> like that was, that was my entire thing. Was like, how many cards can I get for a dollar? You know what I mean? Which is always like, you're gonna get upper deck collector's choice, which is the crappiest paper stock right. and, yeah. and the worst quality. But it's like, if I can get. 15 cards in a pack and i can find one of the players that i like i'm gonna do that as opposed to spending five bucks on a pack that has six cards in it so i i do like a, a bang for your buck sort of thing but with the chrome i mean four cards is standard on all tops chrome products you're gonna get four cards in a pack um it was i think it was that way with galaxy um it's that way with pretty much every other product with chrome i thought galaxy had five but i could also be wrong it's would, been a while i would go back and look because it's i think you get like you get three regular cards and then a refractor in every pack okay. so it's like it's 72 cards total uh for a chrome box it's again then it's not great bang for your buck unless you hit something real big but I tend to not think about it as like what's my return on investment right. going to be and if if you approach it that way as a Star Wars collector, you're never going to get hurt. Uh, if you yeah, if yeah. you would approach it as a as a I'm going to make a bunch of money prospecting on this stuff, you're go go get sports cards. I think would be the main thing. Like just because you can, yeah, or buy singles, or buy singles. I think or buy singles. I'm, I'm about to make some decent flips here, BC. I got about. I got about 20 of these Galaxy Chrome uh, parallels that each one of them I will make a significant turnaround on. But 
Um, that was that was less because I bought them to do that, and more like, oh, the opportunity has now arisen. Where <laughs> like I bought these cards because I liked them a lot, and I didn't think I would be able to get them again for the same price. Right. You know, and you were right. I expected them to go up. Um, they could also just crash at any moment. <laughs> you know, like that. I'm aware of that, but because I would like to buy more cards, it's like, oh, maybe I can part with one of these IG88s or whatever it is. Uh, I think that's a, you know the. I think it's a good way to look at collecting, especially in Star Wars in general. It's like if to to fund the habit, you know what I mean? Like to fund the habit that you want. Like if you find a good deal on a card that you think can go up eventually, like do it. I, I've got this Baru uh, autograph. I got it for like 10 bucks. It was listed super cheap. I, I have a weird affection for Aunt Baru because I... She's one of the first cards I pulled out of a out of a box of Star Wars cards when we started talking Baru about. Baru is it? We're big fans of Baru here in the Cargo Bay. Yeah, but she's she's going to be on the Kenobi show, and she's making her return. She's had a very hard and interesting life since she was doing uh, doing Star Wars the prequels uh, originally. But it's great that she's coming back. So who knows? It's like I, I won't be upset if like, hey, I could sell that for twenty bucks down the road and and make you know. 10 bucks and I can go find another card for that. You know what I mean? Because it's not one that I have yeah, yeah. a ton of affection for. But, um, yeah, it's in terms of, like, huge profits or, or being able to, like, I'm going to make so much money off of this. Star Wars is can be, but you have to be really lucky. Sports cards. I was thinking about this the other day because the ass, thinking of the card as an asset, right? And that they're it's like buying a stock, right? Stocks are going to go up and they're going to go down. Sports cards... Yeah. There's a lot more instability in them just because if a player has a really good game, that card can go up like 10x in a night where people are like, I got to buy that card right now. So it's like, I'm, I have to list it right now. With Star Wars, yeah. the only thing you can hope for is like, this actor came back for an episode and that might increase the value 15%. And then, and then that's, right. and that's the new ceiling, right? There's not a lot that can create that fluctuation in price. They are pretty set within a, a range, so, you know, it's find, find the ones you like. My advice to any collector is, like, find the collection area that you want to focus on and then gear all of your collecting to that. So if you're picking up other pieces, use those to fund your personal collection. Use those to get more packs that you can open because you're a junkie like me. Like, you, you, can, you can make a little bit of money to continue the sort of addiction that is the Star Wars trading card hobby. Because um, that, that would be my best advice. Buying singles is, is really good advice, too, as opposed to buying packs, because packs is it's gambling, essentially. Yeah, unless you're going to hold the packs. You want to you want to buy a box and sit on it. I mean, uh, you know, buying a sucks box. Sucks for the market, but it's yeah. definitely a proven way to make some money yeah, at this point. Yeah, for sure. Buying, buying a box is, if you want to just, as a pure investment to make money, that is a way to go. Um, because... A lot of times you can get it for pre-sale, and it, it's the same with, you know, it's the same sort of correlation between this and sports cards too. Where like your box might two x, right? Your box may go up two to three times in value. Sports cards that that volatility is built in there too because you can buy because they they tend to come out all sports cards tend to come out at like three times the price of a Star Wars product, right? At least on the wow. like a Chrome Star Wars box may be like one fifty if you're getting a Chrome. You know, I look at soccer cards. So a Chrome box of soccer cards, same packs, same kind of count, four hundred dollars probably. Wow, wow. If there's a I had no idea. If there's a really good, so a few years ago there was a, a player named Erling Holland, a a Norwegian striker, really hot prospect. He's scoring a lot of goals. He's a really good soccer player. If you wanted to get like a box of that product that his rookie card is in thousands of dollars now i mean thousands like you have to pay like ten thousand wow. dollars or so. i mean i i would i could look up the price but it's an it's a number that you're like i'm uncomfortable spending that not being guaranteed this kid's freaking card you know what i mean yeah but that sort of like increase in value is so can be kind of exponential in sports whereas with star wars like two to three times is pretty routine um unless the product kind of flops which we kind of which we saw with mandalorian season right. two where if you invested in that you probably probably took a bath on those prices but 
you know. I think I think we could be approaching, you know, like maybe some more interest. Uh, I think the the galaxy stuff is interesting to people. I think it more the more Chrome you put on the Star Wars cards, the more people will come in. But yeah, I think it'll always be a smaller market. Um, when you're, you're seeing top, of course. I mean, you're seeing tops. It's, it's Star Wars. Tops is leaning into that too. They're like, we're gonna do Chrome Mandalorian. We're gonna do Star Wars Finest. We're uh, what's the 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 tops chrome black is coming out like we're yeah, gonna put yeah. all the fancy finishes on our tops cards because they're striking while the iron's hot because there's a lot of interesting cards right now so you know take advantage of it take my money because I'm gonna want them I want I'm gonna want those green parallels you want the green parallels BC I want um I want of course more Babu Fricks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to bring up this is a card hobby point. That, I, that a lot of people have been talking about that I, I just want to... I don't know if you've heard heard about this. Fanatics bought out tops, right? So Fanatics, uh-huh. the sports card collectible. Or I guess they were more of like a memorabilia kind of thing. Jerseys, that kind of stuff. They bought tops. They're in the card game now. Do you know who Gary V is? Yeah. Gary Vayner. Yeah, he's a YouTuber, right? Gary Vaynerchuk. He's he's a YouTuber. He's a, he's a big-time business D-bag? influencer yeah K- kind of he's a, he he's famously kind of like pumped card let me look at his face he pumped up oh really he pumped card values because he's got a huge following so he was pumping cards for a while at the height of like the the bubble and then the the bottom sort of sank out he was like the michael jordan psa 10 rookie is going to be a million dollars it's going to be a million dollars and it got up to like three quarters of a million dollars and now it's down to like i don't know half a million three hundred thousand but like he was part of that like pocket change huge yeah pocket he was part of that huge like wave of pumping cards up so fanatics just did their first official fanatics product release they're getting into sort of the non-sport market like they're like we want to do celebrities we want to do musicians we want to do all this sort of stuff the first product they released Zero cool, Gary V trading cards. You have to you have to do me a favor and look up the Gary V trading cards. They are the the dumbest pieces of crap I've ever seen in my life. But he's got this NFT business with these Gary V sketches. They're doodles. They're dumb childish oh, yeah. doodles. But yeah, but they look like Pokemon cards. They, these look like no, Pokemon. They look... And uh, Pokemon is a great product. <laughs> A parody Pokemon cards from that era. I want to give you a little bit of a sense of what they did with this product. So Fanatics listed it on their website in what they call a blind Dutch auction. Which is, you can bid however much you want to pay for the product. There's only 800 boxes. They package it like a super high-end release. Like thick card stock, one pack of cards, parallel. It's like, it's a dumb sort of like... This is the high-end card production. So there's 800 boxes for sale. You bid how much you want to pay for it. There's there's 800 that's available. So the top 800 bids get a box, right? If you say, I'm going to pay $10,000, you'll, you'll probably get a box. But the first 800 people uh, with the highest prices get a box. Uh, so gross. The, the low, here's the... The kind of cool thing about the blind duck auction is that the lowest bid, so whatever the lowest bid is for box 800, everyone pays, right? So if you said I'd pay 10000 and the person who got box 800 was like, I'll pay 100 bucks. Everyone pays $100. So all 800 Oh, okay. Take, okay. Just based on what you're seeing. Based on, gotcha. the, based on the look of those cards right there. What do you think the, the final box price was that everybody paid for that? I, I can't. I can't. Um... I can't guess what I'd say based on the look of the cards. No, because just... on the look of the cards, I'd say, you know, $30. But <laughs> if I have to imagine all this weird, dumb NFT, like, uh, viral marketing stuff, I would say the final box price ended at, um, let's say, $7,000. Okay, so it's significantly less than that, but it is... Oh, really? Good. Thank it, God. it is still a concerning amount. I think it was... T- I think it was around twenty five hundred dollars. That was good lord. Eight hundred boxes at twenty five hundred dollars, and now they're 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 being re on like resold for 
$5,000. And it's like, none of this makes any sense to me because it is, it is whatever this weird bubble NFT Gary V community is. That's just like inflating these prices. If you look at one of those cards, tell me that a base of the bumblebee that he drew is worth a hundred dollars and I'll slap you in the face right now. <laughs> I'll slap you right in the mouth. Like the, it's, <sighs> it's, it's this weird pricing thing that's happening with this crap product. That's really real, well produced. Like fanatics did a, they clearly did their homework and we're like, we're going to make a high end, whatever. But if you're like, Man. do you want this bumblebee that Gary V drew? It's a reproduction of an NFT that Gary V drew for 400 bucks. I'd tell you to go jump off a bridge. They look yeah, they, they look like an 8-year-old drew them. That's the appeal. That's the appeal. The more the more ridiculous it is that you spent that much money on it, the more it's worth that much money, I guess. I've got a sealed it box. Reminds me of a play. I've got a sealed box of Webkins back here that could go for thousands if people like the art in those Gary <laughs> V cards. Because the art in here, the the foils that we've got, amazing. Can we redo uh, redo Yasmina Reza's art, but it be about Gary V, a box of Gary V cards? <laughs> I think we probably could. I don't think it would be that hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that that was one of the things to keep track of because they might be moving into the sort of non-sport space. I don't know. I don't think it's going to affect Star Wars really, but for some of those other kind of weird cards, just keep your eye out. Fanatics is starting to make moves. They, I mean, they bought out Tops and they're letting Tops do their thing. It's not going to be like, we're done with Tops cards. They're Fanatics cards. Tops is an iconic brand, so they're kind of yeah. not, they're not really touching that. But um, this Blind Dutch auction seems to be something that, that they're all about. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what what continues to go on with with that as that uh, sort of develops. Yeah, that's wild. That's a wild way to imagine trying to buy cards. Um, but that's why you'll need to stay tuned here to uh, the Cargo Bay. BC, I do want to talk about our our grading uh, mission to get some cards graded. But at this point, it is going to be a task to edit this <laughs> this thing down. I think we should maybe uh get get out of the cargo bay here um our supervisor is sick because ate a little too much of low dump stew uh low dump the the chef on the ship <laughs> but uh, still you know i only can spend so much time in here before the fumes start getting to me yeah um, uh, i'm i'm feeling a little woozy low dump will do that to you though <laughs> <laughs> hey pbdo i think it's time to get out of here you want to um you want to, you know, un, un, unlimited power, power the mics? You want to power the mics down, PBDO? Thanks, PBDO. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, until next time, uh, I've been Adam B. Uh, bye forever. I'm Brady C. Later, y'all. <laughs>